0: Please uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Peter, the Apostle Peter's letter, 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. Uh, We will be uh, walking through these, these three verses here, and it helps if you can follow along in your Bible. What's important is not my thoughts, it's the thoughts in the Word of God that are important, and if I can be of any use to you, I will help you understand God's Word, for in God's Word we have God's thoughts, don't we? It is possible to know the mind of God. That's what language is for, isn't it? Language enables me to share my thoughts with you. And language enables you to share your thoughts with me. And our faith in the Word of God is that practical. We actually believe that. You can't say, I don't know what God thinks, since God has spoken to us in His Word. You can know what God thinks. What a wonderful thing that is. God's not the silent type, you know, that turns His back and doesn't have much to say and it is written in His Word, and He's spoken through His apostles. Jesus chose Peter. If you want to know what Jesus wants you to know, you need to listen to His apostles. (laughs) Jesus sent them so you and I can know what Jesus thinks. We believe that with all our heart in this church. Praise God for that. And boy, the verses he has here for us are quite, uh, quite challenging. We're resuming this morning in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. And there Peter begins to address various members of households. In the New Testament, that would be slaves, wives, husbands, and children. And in 1 Peter 2, verse 12, we know that Peter has this apologetic concern on his mind. That Christian households do not give unbelievers excuses to speak evil against the gospel. That's his concern. Rather the opposite. Rather that the unbelievers, that, that our conduct would be honorable among the unbelievers. That unbelievers would recognize that you and I are different. There's something different about us. That they would recognize that. And they would observe our good works, Peter said. And they would glorify God in the day of visitation. That's the context in front of the passage that we're studying on. Greek and Roman unbelievers, they could recognize the good things in a Christian household. They could recognize that. They had their own household codes. Uh, the moral philosophers, and they could recognize that this is even better. This household code is amazing. It's even better. And our New Testament contains those household codes in Ephesians in Colossians, here in First Peter. Very important for the church's apologetic witness to the world that the Lord has sent us into. We concluded two weeks ago that it's better when we translate the Greek term doulos that we translate it as slave, not as servant. For slave is surely what most, if not all, Greek speakers in the first century would have understood doulos to mean. What God called those early Christians to do is far more difficult than what He calls you and I to do. It just is. We need to realize that it's far more difficult. And we had quite a few things to say about that whole subject uh, two weeks ago. I can't review that here this morning. But a significant part of our honorable conduct is how we submit to authority. We also have this attitude underlying submission. Verse 18, we have this command. Look at 2.18, servants, Be submissive to your masters. Slaves, be submissive to your masters with all fear. Not only to the good and to the gentle, but also to the harsh. You know, that takes your breath away. This command, be submissive to our masters. We also have an attitude underlying that submission. Peter says what? Slaves, be submissive to your masters with all fear and that is with all fear to God not to man with all fear to God and we explained that a couple weeks ago that that's how we ought to understand that be submissive to your masters with all fear toward God just as we were urged to submit to the civil authorities as slaves to God in verse 16 So, too, in this household sphere, Christians see, we see our Heavenly Father behind every earthly master. And we know that we must obey God, and that means we must obey the earthly master. That's the perspective of our obedience. We're not simply obeying that earthly expression of authority We're seeing that that earthly expression of authority, whether it's a master or a boss or our husbands or children, your parents, or our civil authorities, the authority of the state. As a Christian, we're understanding that those expressions of authority ultimately are God's expression of authority to us. And that revolutionizes a Christian's response to authority. It's it's revolutionary. I don't know what other word to use. It revolutionizes the home. It revolutionizes Christians in the state. It revolutionizes Christians in the workplace. It revolutionizes children's attitudes toward their parents. And you and I are called to that for conscience' sake. We're obeying that master because our consciences are captive to God. The second part of verse 18 is is where the passage, of course, gets very challenging. Submission is required even to the harsh and unreasonable authorities. Servants, slaves, be, be submissive to your master's With all fear. Look at what he says. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. I very seldom in my years with Lockheed Martin had to submit to myself to harsh managers. Very seldom. I can think maybe of only one, one or two occasions where I was called to do something that difficult. So we have it easy, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. This is a hard pill to swallow. Such a startling command requires further justification and motivation. Justification in the sense of why am I called, even commanded, to submit to harsh authorities. Motivation. Peter, this isn't easy. Help me be motivated to obey this command. It requires justification and motivation. But in the following verses in this passage, he supplies both. He supplies the justification and the motivation to do this. To do this difficult command. We will focus this morning on verses 19 through 21. And we learn, as Peter continues, that the reason for submitting is transcendent. It's a big word. It's a good word. The reason for submitting is transcendent. We are to become like Jesus Christ. We are to image Him to the world around us. We are to show forth Jesus Christ. That's why we're being called to this. That's the reason. How are they going to know what Jesus is like? How are they going to know that? By looking at your life. That's a predominant way the world is going to get introduced to who Jesus is. Is by looking at your life and my life. And Peter's calling us to show forth in the image, Jesus, that's your calling. That's a high calling. It's a transcendent calling. We're to become like Jesus Christ. So let's read verses 18 through 21, which places a command to submit to harsh authorities in the context of being like Jesus and following Him which is highly commendable in the sight of God. This is our justification and motivation. Listen to this. Follow along in your Bible. Slaves, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable before God. For this is commendable if... Because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently... This is commendable before God, for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. Wow. The Bible's inspired, huh? (laughs) Yeah, the Bible's the Word of God. We don't write this kind of stuff on our own. (laughs) No. So let's think about this. Let's now back up. We'll march through here one one thing at a time. So let's think on verse 9. Do we desire to know what God will commend and think highly of? Well, here it is. For this is commendable in the sight of God. If because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering unjustly. That's commendable. The reason we should submit even to the harsh is because of conscience toward God. That's why we should submit. God has placed me in this situation, and I am not to sin against this earthly authority even if he sins against me, and I am not to sin against God, regardless of this master's or this authority's sins against me. Instead, I am to endure grief. I am to suffer unjustly. That is commendable in the sight of God. Now, if there is a non-sinful way out of this situation, then pursue it. You can pursue it. But if there isn't a non-sinful way out of this situation, God has called us to endure grief and suffer unjustly. Plain and simple. Simple to understand, but that's what He's called us to do. And doing so is commendable in the sight of God. There's your motivation. You want to be commendable in God's sight? Behave like this. That's your motivation. Jesus said that. Blessed are you when they speak all kind of vile things against you for my name's sake. Rejoice and be glad in that day. Okay? There's your motivation, being commendable in the sight of God. It's important that we understand that the situations envisioned in verse 19 are broader than the master-slave relationship. Oh, great, it doesn't matter. It doesn't apply to me. (laughs) No, no, no. That's one example of a greater principle. The principle Peter enforces is that Christians are called by God to suffer unjustly for doing good. That's the principle. Let me repeat that. The principle is this, that Christians are called by God to suffer unjustly for doing good. Okay, That's the principle. This becomes clear in the following verses. The master-slave relationship is one instance where being called to suffer unjustly may occur. It's one instance. Now look next at verse 20. In the first part of verse 20, we are told what isn't commendable behavior. And we are asked a very humbling, mind-renewing question. In verse 20, Peter goes on. See, he's talking about what is commendable, what you get, you know, good marks for, okay? And he goes on, For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your sins, you take it patiently? What credit is that? Faults here should be translated as sins as is rendered in most of our our newer versions. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your sins, you take it patiently? That translation shows how it's clearly related to verse 20 to 22. Christ unjustly suffered, what? And committed no sin. That's where the passage is going. He suffered unjustly and committed no sin. Now, is not this a humbling, mind renewing question? Peter is saying, Are we so immature that we think we deserve credit or acknowledgement for doing good simply because we patiently bear a punishment which we deserve when we've done something wrong? Do we think that's impressive behavior? When we're simply reaping what we sow and we bear it patiently when we reap in what we sow. What credit is that, Peter says? I mean, you deserve to get beat up, you know. (laughs) That doesn't impress anyone. That's what he's saying. What credit is it? If when you're beaten for your sins, you take it patiently. You know, would not real repentance patiently bear the consequences of something we've done wrong? Sure. That's how you can tell if someone's repentance is real. They patiently bear the consequences of it. And they don't think, oh, what an awesome thing I'm doing. (laughs) You know, the angels are up in heaven clapping over me (laughs) because I'm being patient as a result of reaping what I've sown. Peter says, nobody's clapping. Okay, I don't want to discourage you. I'm just pressing upon you what Peter is telling us about what the commendability that he's talking about, that doesn't rise to that point. So, we deserve no special commendation for patiently bearing grief when we are simply reaping what we've sown. For what credit is it If when you are beaten for your sins, you take it patiently. Well, how do you answer the question? None. Okay. That's not what I'm talking about, Peter, saying. We're going to higher levels than this. Praise God. Okay. He wants to lead us somewhere higher and bigger. Okay. That's where he wants to lead you to. You know, to kick up a fuss when we are reaping what we've sown is childlike behavior. And you know that, parents. You know when your children are little, even when they're big. (laughs) Man, do they kick up a fuss when you ensure they reap what they've sown. It's childlike behavior to do that. May God mature us out of that as Christians and in our relationship with God Himself. Well, in the second part of verse 20, we have a second description of what is commendable. He gives us another one. But here's what's going to be commendable. Second time around, he expands a bit. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. I love that statement. I mean, it kind of makes you feel about a quarter inch high, maybe. But when you look at that, you just say, yes, that's right. That's commendable before God. We have now stepped into the realm of supernatural power, supernatural behavior. Okay, we've stepped out of moralism. We've left moralism behind now, okay? And now we're into Christianity. We're into the real thing here of following Christ. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable for God. There are three things we must do in order to be commendable before God. First, when you do good... That's the first thing. We're engaged in doing something which is good and right. Not doing something that is wrong. We're engaged in doing something that is good and right. We must be doing good. We must be obeying God. We must be living in a way that is obeying God. And we must be doing what we are doing because of conscience sake, what? Toward God. It's my conscience... Captive to God's authority that has led me to being, doing this. And yet, I am suffering because of it. I'm suffering because of following my conscience captive to obeying God. That's what has led me into this situation of suffering. That's what we must be doing. Doing good. In the specific case of this passage... I'm submitting to my earthly master and in doing so I'm obeying God. That's doing good. Is this commendable? Not yet. Not yet. Second, but when you do good and suffer, suffering as a result of doing good. I've already expounded that extemporaneously. That's the second thing. We must be doing good And what? Suffering because we're doing good. That's second. In other words, I must be suffering unjustly. Okay? I must be suffering unjustly. Am I commendable now? Not so soon. Not yet. Not so soon. But when you do good and suffer... If one more, one more height to climb, if you take it patiently, that's the third step. If you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. What does it mean to take it patiently or to endure? First, in this context, it means to continue obeying the command. In this context of verse 18, slaves, be submissive to your own masters, fearing God. To take it patiently means to continue. Continue obeying the unreasonable, unjust authority. That's what it means to bear it or to endure it patiently. The principle is continue in whatever good behavior God called you to, which occasioned the suffering in the first place. That's how Jesus lived. Suffering for doing good did not stop Him from continuing to do that very good. That's how Jesus lived. 33 years of His life. That's how He lived. The second thing in taking it patiently is, it also means to refrain from practicing other sins when mistreated. Jesus shows us what taking it patiently looks like in verse 23. We're going to get there next week. Who, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. That's what it means to take it patiently, not returning evil for evil. That's what it means to take it patiently. Matthew read it in Romans 12. Paul teaches the same doctrine. Do not return evil for evil. That's what it means to bear it patiently. So in our passage, what is commendable is that which is uniquely Christ-like. That's what's commendable. This behavior is uniquely Christ-like. Christ is unique. And our behavior, your behavior and mine, are to become more and more unique, like Him. That's commendable, Peter says. Professing Christians who can't bear an injustice patiently when dealing with the rest of humanity, including evil civil authorities, are a poor witness of Christ. And when I've behaved that way, I've been a poor witness to Christ. I've backed up to the larger context here by saying that. That's Peter's Largest concern. What are people going to think about Christ since they know you've told them you are His representative? That's Peter's concern. What are they going to think about Christ since you've told them that you and I are His representative? That's what Peter's urging us to think about in this chapter christians have a right and duty to oppose injustice wherever we encounter it don't don't misunderstand some of the things i'm saying i've i've put the civil authorities in here we have a right and a duty to non sinfully oppose injustice wherever we Encounter it. That adjectival phrase, non sinfully, is extremely important when we oppose unjust authorities. Enough said. But injustice, but such is no excuse to not behave as described in this passage and commanded to in this passage. Now, all of this becomes clearer when we get to verse 21. We are called to behave like Christ, to follow His steps. So in the next verse, Peter goes on. Why, Peter, have you, have you told us all this? He tells us in verse 21, For to this you were called. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow His steps. That's why. First, a brief clarification. Peter is not referring to God's calling us to salvation. You know, that is like, and those whom He called, He also justified. That's not what we're talking about here in this passage. Peter is referring to our calling in the sense of what is our job? (laughs) What is our job? Okay? That's how he's using the calling here. Okay, To this you were called. This is the job to which you were called. To suffer patiently unjustly. That is your calling, Christian. That's what Peter is saying. Now, you'll see in a moment, there's something very positive and encouraging about that. He's referring to that type of calling. God has called me to patiently endure undeserved, unjust suffering. That's my job in the kingdom of God. You want to be employed in the kingdom of God? (laughs) The messianic kingdom of Christ that was inaugurated at his first coming. Have you read the Beatitudes? (laughs) Do not the Beatitudes describe this behavior? Of course they do. This is what members of the kingdom of Jesus' kingdom look like. And that's what those ten Beatitudes are all about. And they fit perfectly with this passage. That's my calling. So whatever might be the occasion, an evil government, a harsh master, a harsh spouse, an enemy, an immature church member, a relative, whatever... The Lord uses whatever vehicle He pleases to use, okay? And of course, there's plenty vehicles that will exercise injustice in our fallen world. He doesn't have to go very far to find some vehicle to treat you unjustly because He's interested in maturing you to behave like Him. So, you know, I, I believe the Lord goes out looking for him. He <laughs> says, okay, Dan needs to be mature a little bit. I'll give him an unjust boss for six months, okay? <laughs> you know, I'm going I'm to take him to another level. And how is he going to do that? Well, he needs to experience some injustice. I have no doubt that all of that is in play in how... The great shepherd leads his children along. Absolutely. That's all in play. So we're called to this. You see, in verse 18, we saw that we were commanded to this behavior, and that's important to keep in mind. But it's better than that. Now in verse 21, we see that we are called to it. This takes on a much higher level of motivation and encouragement. This is not some impersonal rule book following a set of rules. This, you know, and whose crazy idea is this anyway? Well, God himself has called me to this. My Heavenly Father has called me to this. My Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, has called me to this. Now stop and think about that. That's a whole new dimension. I have been called to this by my heavenly Father and my gracious Savior. That's so much bigger than, "Ah, I've been commanded to it. That's the Christian life. And when you read the, the history of those early centuries, that was so real to the Christians of those early centuries Oh yeah, their doctrine isn't all refined and all that. And I love doctrine, don't get me wrong. But what I envy when I read the history of those centuries is that was front and center. I am following Jesus and I'm following Him because it was His idea to call me, wretched sinner, rebellious sinner that I am. Hating anybody that would slight me. I get even. I don't get mad. I get even. And I'm a man. That Savior said, well, I'm going to show you what a real man looks like. Right? And that's exactly what He's done. He's shown us Himself being the perfect man. He's shown us what a real man looks like. And it takes our breath away. Then you remember, He's called me to it. (laughs) He's called me to it. And He has undertaken to make me into His image. See that? Boy, is that not exciting? If you're a Christian, you go, that's exciting. That's exciting. He's taken me on to make me into His glorious image. I mean, there's there's nothing better. There isn't. That's the Christian life. We have to keep that in mind. We're called to it. Oh, Lloyd-Jones does such a good job on this. (laughs) You know, I'm not quoting from him, but but he develops that principle in place as And he was so good distinguishing a moralist from real Christians. It's sad that his sermons aren't read as much as they ought to be read. So, wow, we're called to it. For to this you were called, past tense. You can't get out of this. It's done. You're called. This is your job for the rest of your life. For this, now listen to this, for this you were called because Christ also suffered for us. Leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. And in the following verses, Peter is going to describe Jesus' behavior while suffering unjustly. And we'll consider those, Lord willing, next week. But we got more things to think about here. I'm not done yet. We will consider verse 21, Lord willing, next week. But at this point, you see, let me say this. Christ's suffering for us was the greatest injustice that could ever have taken place. Hey. For he suffered for us, put the adjective in there, unjustly, in our place. You see that? He takes us right back to the gospel in that expression. And I'll have more to say about that next uh, next week. Now, to reinforce this a little bit, Where are we in comparison to the behaviors described in this passage? And I can summarize the exhortation of verses 19 through 21 as describing four levels of maturity. There's four levels of maturity here, but I'm going to call them level zero (laughs) to level three because the first level really can't be... Called any level of maturity at all, okay? But there's four levels here. Level zero. I'm wrong. I'm suffering because of my sins, but I still complain and blame others when I reap what I've sown. That's level zero. Because when you and I are behaving on this level, we are behaving like unbelievers. I'm not saying you are an unbeliever when you're behaving that way. But I will assure you, you are behaving like an unbeliever that will not accept any responsibility for what they're reaping. They're reaping because of their disobedience. And sin, and they won't accept responsibility for that. That's level zero. You're reaping what you're sown, and you're blaming others and complaining about the fact that the Lord is pounding your your hiney (laughs) because He loves you, He's disciplining you. And this is not honorable behavior before unbelievers. Level one. There's progress. Level one. I'm wrong. I'm suffering because of my sins. And I don't complain and blame others when I reap what I've sown. Ah, okay. Okay. Now, that is significant progress. (laughs) Level one. I'm wrong. I'm suffering because of my sins. I've reaped what I've sown, and I'm not complaining. I'm still suffering because I'm wrong, you see. These first two, level zero, level one, you're suffering because of your sins. Level zero and level one. But level one is a lot of progress, you know. I'm suffering because of my sins, but I'm, yeah, God, you're right. You're just, I'm simply reaping what I've sown. Thank you for for leading me to acknowledge that. <laughs> thank you for leading me to say that's wrong and ask your forgiveness for that. Thank you. Thank you. Level one, praise God. That's That's a good level to be at. It's not where Peter plans to take us, but it is good. So I don't want to discourage you. Uh, levels 1, 2, and 3 are good. <laughs> but they're not Christ-like. Okay. So that's level 1. Okay. Level 2. I'm right. See, now we've transitioned to I'm doing good things. We get to level 2, it's no longer I'm sinning. We get to level 2, man, I'm doing what's right. I'm right, I'm suffering unjustly, but I engage in impatient behavior and return evil for evil. Yeah, I'm right, I'm suffering unjustly, and I engage in some other kind of ungodly behavior. Whether I return evil for evil or whether I just go off in some other ungodly kind of behavior. What's the problem there? I'm not taking it patiently. I'm not up to that other requirement for commendable behavior. Now, it's good. I mean, wouldn't it be blessed if most of our suffering was because of righteousness' sake? (laughs) Wouldn't that be blessed? I don't know about you, but most of my suffering in my life than because of folly and sin. (laughs) And that's true for almost all American Christians. Most of our suffering, we're down on level zero, level one. (laughs) Okay, we're not suffering because of righteousness sake. You know, level two here is, yeah, that's a good level to be at. I'm beginning to suffer unjustly for righteousness sake, but I'm not bearing it patiently not bearing it patiently. Well, level three, I'm right, I'm suffering for doing what is right, and I bear it patiently. That's level three. And these are all very distinct. I can identify all of those in my experience very distinctly. And I think if you will examine your own life and think about those four levels, you will find you've been in all of those, and, and maybe you just, you know, you need to acknowledge in any given situation where you're at in those zero through level three as, as you work through that. Now, Peter's answer to the question as to why we should continue to obey harsh master's is startling to members of a culture steeped in a man-centered concept of personal rights. And everyone is insisting on all their rights all the time. That's the culture we're in. Everyone is taught to insist on all your rights all the time. This, what we're called to, is entirely countercultural to what our culture is drilling into our heads about this whole matter of justice and injustice and rights and these issues. Not only is everyone insisting on all their rights all the time, They are expecting a civil government to ensure such. That's right. That's exactly what has happened to us. Can you imagine if there was a real revival that even converted 50% of the populace that the lines at the courts would just shrink down <laughs> and people would forgive one way or another an injustice and move on and sleep better at night and not need as many drugs because they're full of bitterness and they can't forgive an injustice Christians can transform an entire culture. And that's what happened in the first three centuries, didn't it? Because they lived this way. That's right. If Christians desire to impact this nation, we need to begin living out this passage in all our human relationships especially in those in which we're under authority. Peter's answer to the question as to why we should continue to obey harsh masters leads us to one of the most significant subjects relating to Christian character and maturity. And that is suffering unjustly, suffering for doing good, and returning good for evil. That's where we're at. This is, this is probably the highest ethical passage in the New Testament. This passage, Luke chapter 6, Matthew chapter 5. And this passage I showed you two weeks ago is grounded in Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5 and Luke 6. It's the highest ethical passages in our New Testament. The returning good for evil is where it ends up. That is the subject of the following verses. But there is also a greater subject of the following verses. It's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that He bore the greatest of all injustices to save you and me. It points us to Him. And that's what the following passage is going to do. That's what the verses following are going to do. That's our motivation. Peter's going to give us the motivation that we need. And it's going to come through Jesus' love for us and what He's done for us and His example. That He, our Lord and Savior, and that He bore the greatest of all injustices to save you and me. And it's every Christian's desire and goal to be like his or her Savior. And I trust that is your goal and desire to be like Him. Remember this and be encouraged. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in His steps. Let's pray. Oh, our Father, Your works, (laughs) Father, Son, Holy Spirit, your works are completely, totally awesome. Your love is unscalable for us to really understand it. Lord, thank you for your faithful servant pointing us to your Son in human nature. We, we don't know what to say other than thank you that you called us. Father, this is your idea. So help us. Help us as you've promised to do to remember these things when the injustice from whatever source comes our way. Oh Lord Jesus, Help us use those occasions to image you. Lord, help us use those occasions when we're treated unjustly as opportunities to show others who was the ultimate one treated unjustly to love on us and to redeem us. Help us think these ways, Lord. We need to be more heavenly-minded. We ask for your help. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.